Peter Griffin's in there. Good morning to you. Good morning. Now, goodness, there's going to be epic TV series about this. Uh, so many layers to the story oh, yeah. of Sam Bankman Freed. But let's begin with the basis, which is an FTX crypto fraud trial. Yeah. Run us through the background. Yeah, so FTX was one of the biggest cryptocurrency exchanges in the world and from about 2018 on was growing massively as people really bought into this crypto craze around Bitcoin and Ethereum. People started buying up the, the tokens and, and this was a place where you exchange those tokens. So Sam Bankman-Fried was, was getting huge inflows of funds from customers. He created his own cryptocurrency FTT, which he sold um, and made money from that. So he was thinking, I've got all of this cash. I actually want to invest that in something. So he set up a hedge fund, a sister company called Alameda Research, and he started funneling money into that. Um, It also took loans from other companies as well. And you had this hedge fund that was investing in lots of different ventures, quite high-risk ventures. And then we, in 2022, we had the crypto crash and all the money that had been lent to Alameda Research, this hedge fund, people were asking for it back and they couldn't pay it back. So, and this is where the real fraud comes in, the Bernie Madoff scenario. Sam Bankman-Fried had all these customers on his crypto exchange. He took their funds to pay those bills. And it was just like a Ponzi Classic scheme. Ponzi. He, he ran, out of, ran out of time and money and the whole thing collapsed and everyone went bankrupt. <laughs> Many strand. I mean, he's an interesting character, put it that way. Uh, and I don't, I'm not sure how much of this is coming out uh, in the trial. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, just that, as is sometimes the case, an ego on a planetary scale, and sometimes that leads to successful outcomes and great yes. achievements, yeah. and sometimes not. Uh, what What does it say about um, What does it say about the system that he used? Allegedly, fraudulently, like oh well, and and, and the transparency around oh, the, and, that. The, and the lack of transparency, uh-huh. the, the lack of all the all the the guardrails that go around a traditional financial system around auditing and independent oversight, and all of that stuff just fell down here because crypto is unregulated. So he took advantage of that. And you know, this has been damning so far. This is we're less than a week into this trial. It's due to run through to November. And already we've seen this woman, Caroline Allison, his former girlfriend, who he appointed to run that hedge fund. He wanted someone in there he could control and manipulate. She has turned state's evidence. She's done a deal with the prosecutor. So she is now giving all of this juicy um evidence against him and it is damning you know it's um it's from the spreadsheets that uh that revealed just how much money they were losing the shortfall this hedge fund had uh the conversations with bankman freed other executives gary wong has also um done a deal with the prosecutors so he's been revealing all the the code that ran the whole FTX system and how Sam, Sam Bankman-Fried had complete control over it. So already a week into this, before we have all the other aggrieved parties having their say, it just looks really bad for him. And interestingly, the jury in this trial 
as a jury, uh, no, nine women on this jury, and and just some of the way that he treated his girlfriend. For instance, he said, "Oh no, no, I'm not going to give you a stake in the company like all, all all the bros that I work with. I'm just going to pay you a bonus, albeit a great bonus, up to twenty million dollars at one point. But just a lot of the, and this is coming out in Caroline Allison's sort of um, testimony about his." personality and this delusion of grandeur. He he had aspirations to be the president of the United States. All of that was wrapped up into him thinking, because he had so much money, I can do what I want with it. And he used it inappropriately. Um, what's it done to the already <laughs> up and down yes. credibility of crypto? Yeah, well, this this is the, the, the big thing. You know, the crypto industry is very frustrated that they want to get this this abscess lanced (laughs) lanced and out of the way because it is exposing the cracks in the entire industry and they would argue that the industry has cleaned up its act but in the wake of the FTX collapse last November that ultimately led to the collapse of some of those crypto heavy banks in the US Silicon Valley Bank Signature Bank and several other companies that was this retreat from risk that happened, crypto investors just went, oh, my God, I don't want that happening to my money. I'm taking it out of crypto ventures and off the exchanges. What we've seen even here in New Zealand, I just co-authored a report about this, where New Zealand companies that are vaguely related to crypto are finding it very difficult to even get a bank account to do business here. They call it debanking. And this is happening all over the world, particularly in the US, where the SEC and other regulators have basically unofficially said to the industry, stay away from crypto. And there is regulation that is in the works there. And I think the regulators, everyone will be watching this trial as a sort of a test case. What are the things that we cannot allow to happen again? We are then going to write that into legislation. It's such an interesting concept that banks can decline a, a, a bank account, a loan, fair enough, but a bank account. We had this discussion with how difficult young people are often finding it to get a bank account open and how complex it is. And, and I would have thought it's a human right to have a bank be. account if be. you ask for it. And some countries uh, you know, treat it as a human right. Yeah. We saw the, the case recently for the Gloria Vale commune where BNZ that's wanted right. to... That's right, BNZ wants to... That's right, and, yeah. and, the, and a judge overturned that and said, yeah. no, actually, if you look through the contract, you have an obligation to provide this. But you know, the banks are saying... You know, we have our own moral code and That's terms true. of service. I mean, service. if it's a criminal, they'd be able to turn it down. I mean, they've got the whole money laundering thing going on for starters. So if it's a, a criminal uh, or allegedly criminal um, enterprise, they could argue. Yeah, it. but yeah, and, and then you, you get cases like. Nigel Farage, the right-wing politician in the UK, he had his bank account rescinded uh, based on his political views. So mm. you know, the the chief executive of that bank had to had to resign over that. Yeah. So. It is a, a really big thing to take someone's bank account off them because you can't function with it. But these companies in New Zealand that are doing crypto-related things, you see, the thing is a lot of them are actually trying to reinvent the financial system. So they're in direct competition with the banks. doesn't matter. That, that comes back to the principle, again, of a, of a, of a human right, right? And, it should and, be. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Again, you mentioned Bernie Madoff, and that's an old-fashioned fashion Ponzi scheme with mm. people just putting fiat money into a... Into a um, you know, into an investment scheme. What what's the difference with the crypto fraud? Are there is there any visibility or anything that the conventional um, financial system has that's 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 fundamentally different to to crypto? Well, it's just that um, 
crypto really is you know is particularly this this the crypto that was mainly on this exchange is not tied to any um, you know real assets mm. it's not underpinned you know fiat currency is un, you know underpinned by real things this is not um, so a lot of these you know they just we saw this over rec- recent years just the invention of these new tokens and people were buying into them based on the credibility of the organization issuing them it's like dogecoin it fluctuates massively based on the tweets that Elon Musk, one of its biggest proponents, puts out there. So that's the only thing that that sort of controls its value, and that's the difference, I guess. To you know, Bernie Madoff, he was inventing on on, on his spreadsheets money, but actually people were putting real money uh, into that, and that's the, that's the big difference. And of course, the, just the fact that there is no dedicated regulation. They just didn't understand how to set up systems and hadn't attempted to specific to how the intricacies of how things are done in the crypto world, and they still haven't. All right. So that is the Sam Bankman free trial underway in the States. Now, we interviewed Alex DeFries earlier, PhD candidate at the VU Amsterdam School of Business and Economics, and he's endeavoured to track the impact of the AI race since GPT, its Mm. impact on uh, global power use and water, by the way. They're, They're water hungry as well. And he's... Done it in an interesting way. We were just saying we've got data centers. Some data centers will be AI. Some will be dumb data mm-hmm. centers by comparison. It's and, and it's his point was you can't get any you can't get any data out of any of these big tech firms about their use of energy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he, he did it interestingly. He looked at the supply chain and picked a particular chip as as a sort of proxy for what the growth would be. And by 2027, said it'd be the power supply, the equivalent of the Netherlands, right? Yeah. And this has a relevance to New Zealand because these companies are going to look for renewable energy because otherwise they're going to get walloped one way or another by um, either by the market or by um, emissions trading, mm-hmm. etc. So it's got implications for us already. But what what do you make in the first instance about these projections about the energy uses? It is higher energy use than for other for, for standard. Um, Service, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and he's 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 been tracking these Nvidia chips. Nvidia is now supplying ninety five percent of the artificial intelligence um, requirements for for chips. So it's a in useful proxy. It is a useful proxy. Yeah. And, and I think he's probably right. Might may even be underestimating it by twenty twenty seven. Um, you know, the, the power consumption, the size of the Netherlands. The question is, is this a bad thing? And we've heard this argument before around the rise of Bitcoin. Bitcoin relies on on this whole mining process we've talked about before on, on the show, this computational, very complex equation that has to be done every time someone puts a block on this blockchain, as they call it. That's very energy intensive. And a lot of people are really queasy about that because Bitcoin is just one crypto system. And Evangelists of it think that will become the future of of money and and transferring value, but a lot of people are going. Well, hang on, that's just one thing that Satoshi dreamt up thirteen years ago. I don't want to buy into that. Whereas AI is actually a revolutionary movement that is happening across every industry. So, if the 
the vision is true, that it's going to make us more productive, it's going to allow us to discover new drugs and new materials and do all of these things, well, maybe it's justified to actually have a fair chunk of power going towards its use. Two, two issues. He, he took issue. He said you've had previous revolutions where they overpromise and underdeliver. So that's a fair point. Yeah. Uh, I think he's projecting it would get up to 0.5%, so half a percentage point of, of all electricity use. I think, if I remember correctly, data centres are already there. Um, and I think yep. the, the Bitcoin, they all seem to be almost um, equal. And I made the point, so what's the big sucker of... Of, of energy now, and the, the closest we could get just off the top of our heads was um, air travel being 2% of carbon emissions as a, as a proxy again. It sounds like there's a spread of lots of small things that, that are the drag on, on universal, um, on, on, on global electricity supply. So the question is, does this supplant and replace an existing use, or is it additive, and then how big does it get over time? And the yeah. second question is, where are these things, and whose power are they using? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, but on your first question, yeah, is it, it's additive at the moment because there's just been such a boom, and particularly in this generative AI, the chat GPT stuff. But look, every country is trying to reduce its emissions from the, the big, dirty industries making steel and concrete and, and agriculture. And if we're serious about transitioning our economy from these dirty industries, commodity-based sort of industries or heavy industries to a knowledge economy, in theory then we should see more of that activity shift to the cloud, literally, into the digital world. Yeah, in theory, although we're always going to need buildings to live in and ways to get to get around, maybe less, yeah. maybe we'll but do If we can online. do it more energy efficiently. But that was the second point, that the productivity gain of a new technology yeah. can end up being subsumed by demand. So you actually end up with so much demand for yeah. it that you don't that you've lost you're still using the same amount of power as you started off with. Yeah, yeah. And and in that case it it's gotta be based on renewables, you know, and there's a renewable boom at the moment, including in New Zealand. So that's why we're an attractive destination for these companies. They want to be able to show in their ESG reporting that they're a one hundred percent renewable powered data center. And if they are, well that's a good case for for doing the AI stuff here. Well, yes and no. But you want to refer back to my colleague Phil Pennington's mm. quest to try and find out how much power these new data centers, it's Amazon and is it Microsoft, Microsoft, are bringing here. Yeah, uh, and, and others. And how's he? I didn't. I missed this morning. <laughs> how did? He, how's he going with that quest to get that information out? Well, as, as he always does, he's done a, a great job asking around these basic questions that we should be asking and. Um, what was really staggering from that is just how little real deep thinking the government has actually done on this question. They basically said, well, the electricity companies are saying there's plenty of capacity, we should be fine, but I just don't think they realise... Are they reading their own Climate Commissioner report? Yeah. Projecting that we need, I think, to double the amount of electricity by mid-2030s or whatever if we are going to realise the ambition of electrifying the fleet. Yeah. Like, Like, seriously, that's their own Climate Commission saying that. Yeah. So the question for me is, should you and I as taxpayers or as uh, energy company bill payers pay to increase the supply we're going to need for our own purposes just to have it sucked up by a foreign company's data centre? And who is, you know, Mm. moving the parts from an overview perspective on that? Well, you know, the... The, the whole pitch for them coming into this country is that they're going to generate a lot of economic activity. What economic from activity? That, what from, jobs? From all, well, they, you know, I think Amazon alone 
estimates you know hundreds or thousands of jobs that are going to be created as a result of having all this cloud capacity now but wait, wait, seriously what difference does it make that it's local really well, low latency applications, data sovereignty, all of those things where we're uncomfortable about or, or unable to run applications here yeah, because it's mean, based in Sydney or Does, does that Melbourne. mean that our data centre will only serve New Zealand? No, it wouldn't have to. I mean, someone could be in Australia and access a data so, centre so, in New so Zealand. So that's, that's my point, really. Yep. Does it need to be local? Does it benefit New Zealand entirely? Or is it just cheap power for a global operating company? Yeah, I, well, I think part of the attractiveness of being here is the access to renewables. Okay, renewable. Well, yeah. yeah, so the question is, is, is do we have enough capacity in the pipeline to service those needs, which the government has recognised as a good thing. They've, they've gone cloud first. They want to go to the cloud. Is there enough capacity to do everything else? And Phil, I think his research showed that by 2030, they're estimating 220 megawatts of power. Um, Auckland, in comparison, uses 1,700 megawatts of, of power. So it sounds like a lot, but that's for the whole industry, but it's going to grow very quickly, particularly if this generative AI stuff is, is used here. you want someone with eyes on it. Now, I yeah. know the power companies will love this because they have a nice, you know, big fat customer sitting there and a surety of supply and just one location to get it to. They'll love it. The question is whether the power we need for other purposes mm. will happen as well. And by the way, anyone mention the price of electricity in yeah. the country with one of the highest renewable supplies anywhere in the world? It, it's, yeah. It's high. Whose eyes are on this? Yeah, well, Who's, it should be. Who, you know, I think, and and this goes to the, to, to the point that we 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 just don't take enough of a, f- a future focused, long term view <laughs> oh, on yeah, all of this right. this infrastructure, all this digital infrastructure. We did it with broadband. We haven't really done it with power infrastructure. Um, we are going to be our economy is shifting more to digital stuff, and that's good because weightless economy. We can export that higher value, lower cost of production cleaner that that's the mantra that everyone is talking about around the world so we do have an opportunity to do that but clearly it's got to be sustainable for what we're trying to do powering the rest of our society okay final topic today mm. oh, now this is the great irony <laughs> we've been talking about AI, 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 AI sucking up all this power uh how's it going when it comes to tuning um ai products that everyone's suddenly interested in um into profits. Well, this is really interesting. Wall Street Journal has just published some inside information out of Microsoft, which is one of the biggest players in this generative AI. They have a product out called GitHub Copilot, which allows computer coders to automate a large part of the process of creating a computer program. Microsoft charges them $10 per user per month for the benefit of doing that. But the Wall Street Journal is suggesting, talking to insiders, that Microsoft is losing, on average, more than $20 a month per user. For the real power users who are using that constantly, they're losing up to $80 a month. And that is because when they do these uh, queries in ChatGPT, that, that involves a huge amount of computation, which ties up those processors, which generates uh, or requires power to run them. That's very expensive. So I mean, this is unsustainable. If they go on this way, they're not going to make make money out of it. And that's why when they announced the consumer version of these co-pilots, they said it's going to cost you $30 a month, which I was shocked about. Why is it so high? The reason is because they're struggling to make money out of it. 
Uh, is that going to be on one of those trajectories where cost comes down yes. over time? Yes, a- absolutely. And w- and what the you know we're only a, a, a you know AI has been around for decades, but we're only a year into the generative AI one, which uses the large language models that that suck the computer capacity. So over time, NVIDIA is already coming out with new chips to do this much more efficiently, and they'll figure out ways to use different types of large language models that are you, know, you don't need all the information in the world. You can make them much more targeted, and they will therefore use a lot less computing power and energy. So I think they'll fix this problem, and they're going to have to if the business model underpinning generative AI is going to work. Peter, always a pleasure. Peter Griffin, Wellington-based science and technology journalist.